you see the, the Dallas football game? I didn't watch it. I heard it was pretty tragic. It, the, the end is the mistake that no Madden player would ever make. <coughs> ever make. No, why not? No, no. <laughs> also, I love I, everyone on Twitter has shifted to being NFL coaching experts <laughs> now. It's pretty amazing. Uh, there were like, it was like 40 seconds left, no timeouts. They're on the, I don't know, 40 yard line. Um, and their QB runs it right up the middle. And, you know, it's a running play, gets yeah. tackled, so the clock doesn't stop. Oh, gosh. And so then there's like, I don't know, 10 seconds left. And he's, you know, their whole offense is like rushing to set up, no timeout. Yeah. Uh, and they do the, um, get the ball and do the QB spike. Because uh-huh. it's a first down. He yeah. First yeah. down. So third down away. They're down by like six points or something. Uh, and he like, they do the snap and the whistle blows. Oh my gosh. The sequence is so fast. It's like snap, whistle, spike. And they're like, okay, that's the end of the game. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No no Adam, no Madden player would ever make that mistake. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That sucks. So they're out. Yeah, I guess. I I don't really watch football, but you know, yeah. Played Um, a lot of Madden in my younger days. Right. I haven't been, well, the Pats lost. Um, they're they time. Are they in the playoffs? They were. They were in the wild card, but now they're not. Yeah, they lost to um. I don't know who they lost to. Oh, they lost to Tom Brady. They lost to the Bucks. I think they got destroyed. And they're not in the playoffs. They're they were in the playoffs. It was the wild card. I guess I don't know if that means. Oh, not. it was a wild. They card didn't get game. a berth. Like they didn't actually. It was wild card weekend. Oh, I yeah. thought it was still regular. This is I don't know anything. Yeah, no, I know. Um, oh no, sorry. The, the pass lost to the Bills. I'm sorry. Okay, the, the Bills are like the really Bucks good did win. They destroy the Eagles. But um, no, the Bills. Remember, the Bills have been like awesome the last couple of years, and like earlier in the season, they're like one of the best teams in the NFL. And then they they really fell off. And then um, so it was like, which team are you gonna get? And and um, the Pats got like the version of the Bills that was like the best team in the oh. NFL. Like Josh Allen was just like dominating great runner and like yeah so i kind of loosely followed the pads this year just because i wasn't super excited about it but the college football playoff game a couple weeks ago the georgia bama game was like the most fun i've had watching football in a long time nice. it was awesome it was awesome uh they showed like it brought me right back to being in college because like they showed athens downtown athens and I was just like the most drunk people ever, like all just like climbing fire poles and like, you know, standing on cars and barking because they're the bulldogs. And it just brought me right back to like 06 and 08 when I was in Gainesville and we won. It was the same thing. Everyone just rushes downtown. It's a good time. You guys were gators. Yeah. yeah. So what did you, if you, you didn't bark, what did you do? You just like you bite you off gator bait, legs. chomp, chomp. You go like that, <laughs> which I feel like is a little more classy than, uh, than, than just barking. barking. <laughs> but maybe that's just so much I'm, more classy. I'm a gator fan. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I said go dogs for my my buddy a couple times, but I will never bark. That's a, that's a that's a bridge too far. <laughs> it was a really fun game though, and they had lost to them about a month ago in the SEC championship. Georgia lost to Bama. Bama gave them their one loss this year. And so it was awesome oh. redemption story. It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know? Just nice. revenge. The setup was perfect. So uh, that was fun. Um, yeah. And then, uh, uh, oh, you know, Ryan is going to be in New Orleans for uh, the Final Four this year for March Madness. And it's in it's in New Orleans. The games are. What are they doing? So I might, I might be able to go into a Final Four game. Oh, cool. Yeah. What? Um, what? It's they usually do it like all over the country, and then the final four isn't so. going to be in New Orleans. I think so. Cool. I think that's right. Yeah, so that'd be fun. But um, yeah, it's a good time. Um, cool, man. So uh, let's see. It was already third week of January. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Years flying by. Yeah, it's been a good few weeks though. Getting yeah, our videos oh, yeah. out. Uh, did the other suspense video last week, and. Um, best part about teaching is like learning right oh yeah you know people ask me sometimes like comments my youtube videos they're like you know where do you learn this stuff it's not there yet and like man my answer is always the same if you have to teach something that's if you want to learn something then teach teach it it. even if you don't have an audience or like a a student just you know make an explanatory video or post from like first principles and stop whenever you don't completely understand something there's always that moment you're explaining something and you get to that part and you're just like 
uh, and you kind of like hand wave it, you go through it. But like, if you always stop when you hit those until you understand enough to say it, then like, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I, I remember during the Ember meetups, Luke used to try to get people to give talks and they would say, oh, I don't, I don't know enough about it. And he's like, well, you know what the best way to learn about it is, is to give a talk. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's so true. No, it really is. So my video last week was about inserting like a suspense boundary after the initial render. And I go through this whole thing where I explain how, you know, effects, the way they work with suspense is that they don't run until after all the components have finished suspending because, uh, that's after, that's when the render actually happens. And, um, we use that fact to insert the boundary so that you have different rendering behavior, loading behavior, UI when this, the, the second suspense happens. And then I was talking about on Twitter and I'll link to this thread because it ended up being a pretty cool thread because you know, suspense for data fetching, which is what my last two videos have been about is not actually ready yet. It's not advertised or documented, um, as part of suspense, even though suspense is in react 18 and react 18 is in release candidate. So they're like fixing bugs and they're not really changing behaviors in 18. So it's like the question then becomes like, why do you have suspense, but not for data fetching? And so, you know, the last two weeks, as I've been like making these demos and videos, I was just making sure to learn about it, asked about it on Twitter. And I asked Paul Henschel, who's this guy who has this library react suspend, which just gives you a function that you can pass an async function into to suspend your app. So if you need to like set up Firebase or anything and, you know, in the details, it's like throwing a promise and, and all that stuff, but you don't have to worry about that. They have like a stable place you can, you know, do that. And yeah, because I remember the first suspense component you did. It's like, oh, I need a stable promise. Right. It needs to be a module scope. Right. So it's a, and it's just like it's there's, a pain in the butt. there's just a lot of it's not it's it's a lot harder than oh just throw a promise. Exactly. It has to be the same promise. Same, exactly. So that takes care of that detail. And I was like tweeting about this and I was like, this is actually pretty cool from like just a perspective of you're starting to react and you need to fetch data because if you look at it, it's just like rendering a component, suspend and then like fetch JSON and then you render your component and like, that's it. There's no, it's like you're writing an eight. It's like, it's like as if react supported async components basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And it works exactly how you would expect. So it's pretty awesome. And then Paul actually was responding on Twitter and he was like, yeah, you know, I've been using this for years. I don't know why we, it's not talked about more, but like we're, we've been experimenting with it and like, I wish more people use this. And then, uh, Dan Abramov actually got involved too, because I was asking, you know, why is it like, there's some piece I'm missing about the fact that like throwing promises as a way to suspend and react is it, that is the API. It's not changing. So then the question becomes, why can't we do that to fetch data? And, um, uh, Dan chimed in and kind of answered that. So I figured we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So yeah, it has to do with this, uh, the idea of the cash part. And, um, can we, I guess before you start, like, just my impressions when I hear this, like suspense is not ready for data fetching makes me think like I can't get data from like a remote service mm -hmm. with suspense. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's not lining up there because I've seen you do that. Yeah. Well, that's part of why I was having this whole conversation because I was like, so what about this is unstable basically, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it has to do with the cache. So that's a good place to start, right? I mean, that is the, I, 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 so let's I walk through the so. mechanism of, so should we like to find data fetching? Cause again, it's just like, I've seen people yeah, fetch what's data with suspense. So. Yeah. And yet I hear that suspense isn't ready for data fetching. So like, there's just something that's not, you know, it up. might be. Yeah. So let's walk through it. So I think the only officially supported use case for suspense right now is lazy loading components. Like react.lazy or I whatever. Think so. Okay. And you can lazy load a chunk of JavaScript, a component, and let's say you have an admin that you only want for like admins. So you don't load it on initial load. You visit the page and then you do react.lazy, fetch the component. And so that suspends. So now you can add a suspense boundary above the, in the tree and it renders the loading state. So that all works. Now, the question is, I'm now I'm just going to be speculating a little bit, but I think this is what differentiates it from, uh, from data, the data fetching did you see my scar my crossfit scar no it's pretty gross nice. right <laughs> tall man trying to do too many pull-ups for his own good um i don't think there's any i don't know if there's any cash built in for the lazy component 
I think maybe it just delegates to the browser because if you fetch a chunk that's fingerprinted, like React doesn't really have to worry about caching that. That's a browser concern. So let's say you fetch, you go to visit the admin, you fetch admin 123.js, you go back away and then you come back and get it again. It'll just be there. Like, or maybe it's not, maybe the code's already loaded. So maybe it is already loaded and it's not going to refetch it. But even if it did, like it wouldn't be a problem. You're basically saying like, even though it's just going to use a promise and it's going to be async, like um, it doesn't actually have to go to the network and fetch the thing. Yeah. Because it's going to get like the browser is just going to return the thing that was that it returned previously. So yeah. There's like, also there's like a natural cache. Yeah. Also, bundles are typically immutable. That That's where I that's, thought you, that's, that's where I thought you were that's going. where I think it is. So like if you fetch admin version one, two, three, then it's immutable and you never have to bust the cache. You never have to invalidate the cache. The difference between lazy loading component and fetching data is where, like the components never going to change. Yeah. And the data might change. Exactly. Exactly. So if you fetch an API endpoint users, API slash users is going to be different. So um, this is why I think, again, kind of thinking out loud, but why a cache is a more necessary part of the data fetching story, because uh, you could do it where there's no cache. So your component renders, it says use query API users, and then it renders some JSX. And um, but usually you have more things going on. And uh, if you just let it fetch the users, let's say it's a network call, it takes like a couple seconds and then the component's ready and it mounts. That's fine. But obviously in a real world app, that's like not going to work because if you navigate away and come back or something happens while that fetch is happening, it's a long enough process that you want that those users to be there when you come back to it. So you could cache it yourself. You could say, uh, you could put it in some state in I mean, you your do, component. Yeah, like and what, what Apollo. You could put it in a context, right? Apollo. You module could, scope. It. Module so let's, scope. So let's just keep it yeah. nice and simple. Let users and then module scope it and then only fetch if you don't have anything there or whatever. So, of course, you can solve that problem with it. But Dan was saying, obviously, there's there's way too many benefits Um that we want to standardize the way this happens so that uh, libraries and other parts of React can take advantage of this single cache. So if you need to invalidate some state, you can be, you can do it in a clean way. So I basically think at a, like a 30,000 foot view, he used this analogy of like installing a, an install script. And if you had an install script, you fetch, you know, library one from node modules, library two from, sorry, from NPM, library one, library two, library three, all takes time and installs. And then you hit your script and CI and it errors, right? So if you want to rerun the install script after fixing the bug, you don't want to go fetch npm one uh, package one, package two, package three all over again. Like a good install script would know like steps one through three were successful and we're retrying step four, mm-hmm. right? So you could imagine an install script that never does that and just runs over again fresh every single time. But that'd be a very bad install script. Like none of our development environments would be would work because like if every time we did npm run, we had to start from scratch. That's like a really it's a big enough part of the problem that for a install script to be considered like usable and good. That's like a necessary thing. And I think that's what he's saying about data fetching with suspense. So, yes, you can fetch data with suspense. And um, a lot of these libraries have their own caches. But until the cache is delivered that's part of react and actually coordinates the standard way to like evict and invalidate existing data the story is, is incomplete basically okay i think there might be a little more here in that you like if you're doing like a reload you want like one cache that's empty and one cache that's full because you want to be like displaying the things while you're reloading. Yeah. And you you might think like, oh, but I can just make an event handler that calls reload. Right. But I think that gets a little messy because now like our components are back to managing their loading state. Because if the component is calling reload. And so I think there's some. Uh, yeah. I think this is a stuff that like you, you, you can't do in user land or it's extremely hard to do in user land. Yeah. And the React cache is going to provide. So I can be um, in a state with data fetch from the server and then i have another render that's suspended that's like refetching the data from the server and if for whatever reason that render bails 
it doesn't change any of the rend- any of the data that's on the my tr- screen. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that because they said really there was a thing that how it breaks with start transition. So this is how we got into learning about more about start transition, which is another React 18 API. But um, without a standard cache, they basically couldn't provide start transition. So that's how I think it ties to this idea because. So start transition is, do you want to talk about what it is? I can pull it up here. Just yeah. Um, like, do you know what it is? <laughs> it's <laughs> you start transitioning to a new state and uh, you don't, you don't render until that state is ready. You don't right. You, you don't re- commit your okay. tree or yeah. <laughs> yeah you, we can't, we can't say the term render because it's like, is rendering start running the component is rendering your pixels are drawn to the screen. Yeah. So you, you start rendering, the components yep. that might suspend, mm-hmm. but you don't actually draw the pixels on the screen until the components are, are unsuspended and they're ready to go. So it allows you to transition from, say, like blog post one to blog post two uh, without having to deal with that middle state where like you're currently fetching blog post one. So from the point of view of your program, it has blog post one rendered. There's something in the background fetching blog post two, uh, but the your components that are rendered on the screen, they're only displaying blog post one. They only know about blog post one. And then when blog post two comes back, now they just re-render with blog post two. Right. And there's more we can get into. Here, right. But. but this is like a new mechanism from the perspective of React because if you ever click a link and you have to render like blog post slash two, so far today, like React's just going to start rendering that. It's going to, it's, it's a render attempt. If you had an error, it would just crash your program. But if it starts fetching data, it's all that stuff is on the screen. And, um, you know, we were talking earlier, it's kind of like the halting problem where we've talked before back in Ember days too, where it's like, sometimes you want to know what to fetch, but it's because you're working with a dynamic program, you have to render in order to know what you need to render. So, you you know, you have to render the component because all we have in, in React is rendering. There's nothing like, here's how you transition from one route to the next. You can pass in an async function. React can run that while still keeping the UI responsive. And there's nothing like that. It's all components. It's only rendering. So, Well, there will be. <laughs> there will be. So that's kind of the mental model here where before you would just have to start rendering the component right away, which is why you get in all these thorny issues. You're rendering something that's not really in the complete state from your perspective. You, you'd like to be able to actually render it off to the side, let it finish, keep your app in the old state so it's still on the first route, or maybe you're showing something different and... Uh, and then, like you said, once all those async steps finish in the rendering cycle, now you have a sync component that's ready, just as if you were like toggling a button. So it's kind of this back to this turning the async into sync. And like you just said, it's, it's a transition. So this is like now a first class way to do this. Yep. And there's so much with the trees here being consistent, which is why the cache is important. So right. I think the easiest way to visualize this, and I might be just too boring here, but like you, you have a component and it takes a blog post ID and it has... Um, it has some state like blog post content and then it has an effect that takes that blog post id fetches fetches it from your cms and then like set blog post content to the response of that fetch and that effect has a dependency array of id mm-hmm. so every time the id changes you are going to get new blog post con- that fetch is going to rerun and so when you first render like you render with blog post one and it fetches it um and it sets the content and then you render it with blog post two and right there, like just right there before our effect runs with the new blog post two ID, we're in this really weird state because our blog post content state is that of blog post one, but our ID is blog post two. And so like your program isn't consistent and you might, you it, might, it's think not consistent from a like semantic perspective like you you might add some loading state or whatever and it's like correct program in the sense that you're rendering a component with like blog post one and state and and blog post two id as a prop but it's not like consistent yeah so what's like consistent after playing with like these demos consistent is a a word that i like yeah but it's um yeah no one would say to you like oh we need to blog post one with blog post id2 with blog post one content right like like right. from from the 
if you were to like draw a state chart of your application, right. like that, you're not thinking about that. Right. And then you hit this bug. You're like, oh yeah, of course, because my state is like the last fetch blog right. post and my effect is now in the middle of running. So it's no problem. I'll just like, before my fetch kicks off, I'll just set blog post content to an empty string. And so you do that and it, it solves a problem. But then, but then you're like, wait, hold on. Is blog post two, like, is it an empty blog post? Or is the data being fetched? Because now I can't tell. I just know that I have blog post two and an empty string. Right. But I might they might just fill in with a blog post in a few seconds. Right. So then you're like, okay, I, I need an is loading. So then you add is loading state and like you've solved this problem. But it's just such a it's like it's a very weird state because you never start out saying like, oh, I'm gonna explicitly like create this state in my application. It's always like a, a like um we need like a term for this. It's like a response state. It's like a yeah, reaction. Like, you're coding in a reactionary way. Yes. Because you're encountering yeah intermediate states that aren't part of the domain of what you're trying to do. You know, in its traditional SSR app, like you click a link, you've sent the request with the new param and like the browser is waiting. And so you only ever see it after the fact. This yeah. is kind of like that new thing that we have. Yes. But when we put it all that code in, into effects, it makes it really hard and confusing and it introduces a lot of bugs because like you're saying, I mean, the story you just told is like perfect explanation because as soon as you click link two, you run that effect, you're in this weird state. What's happening? Dude, there in the there. meantime, the user could be interacting with the app. There could you could lose net there's a lot of weird intermediate stuff that could happen there. There's so many bugs we introduce here. And then also too, like fetching blog posts too is usually fast, right? Mm. It's usually like two hundred milliseconds. So who cares if our app is buggy for two hundred milliseconds? Usually like our users and our product managers and our QA testers, they don't notice this sort of thing. But yeah. like, imagine you have like blog post ID two, you have blog post one's content, yeah. blog post ID two is being fetched. And then all of a sudden, like you edit the content, and right. click save, right? Like, wait, hold on. Where should that save go? Right. Should that save go? And then like, well, okay. Like I can like track like last blog post ID is one. So if I do an edit, well, is like you just reset, on. you're not, you're not, you're, you just, yeah, like, you're, done. you're just formic reset values, territory, all these kinds of things makes these components very hard to reason and, about. And, and, and the thing is, I'm just going to keep going back to this, like consistent state thing. This isn't like a state that you planned to draw in your application. Like if I'm on blog post one, I should be able to go off and fetch blog post two, but I want my app to remain responsive in blog post one, because guess what? That's a blog post that's rendered while I'm fetching blog post. Two. Right. And so start transition allows this. We can keep the app in blog post one blog post one is rendered where we can edit blog post one, delete things, whatever. See updates it. if it's real time push updates or something. Yeah. Notifications yeah. about it. If you're on a channel on Twitch or something. And then when blog post two comes back, we're, we're unsuspended, the transition ends and then we just re-render and guess what? We get to re-render like synchronously right? because we have everything we need. So right. we just immediately go from blog post one to blog post two. Right. And we never have to describe the in-between. There's no more setting content to empty string, setting loading to true. And God, writing like writing tests, being embarrassed when our yeah. QA comes back and says, hey, I, yeah, I hit I back button or something. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and um, it starts, the story tells really good. And it starts to make sense why you are trying like from a suspense perspective you're trying to pull the async parts out and delegate to the parent why you want the parents to orchestrate all of this because you want these components to be self-contained you want them to be consistent from the perspective of they have what they need i have blog post two my id is blog post two and i'm either suspended or i have blog post two content that's it yeah i can't be blog post two with blog post one content it's just no i'm blog post two i'm suspended or i have a content. it's crazy how like talking about it seems like obviously that's how it should work like that seems like that that's obviously the mental model we all want but like we've been plumbing for so long you know because we're working with such low level it feels like such a jump in the level of abstraction not only that but when you hit these bugs your reaction is never oh my programming model is wrong right um you know unless you're like there's like 10 people in the world that can recognize that yeah like i'm a bad react programmer that's what you think (laughs) You just, no, you just when think, you hit these bugs. When like, I hit these bugs, I, I don't even think that. I just, I think. Well, first of all, I always think I'm <laughs> yeah. But then I look at your React code and I'm like, oh, okay, it's like could be worse. <laughs> no, I, I, 
I, Fair. I'm in my React developer. I have my React developer hat on. I'm like, oh, that's so easy to solve. I'll just create a new state called is loading. Yeah. And I'll toggle is loading to true and then is loading and false. And it's like, boom, problem solved. Yeah, you got all the knives right there. Yeah, you have to I write a source. test case. Yep. I ship it to production. Yep. I, I close that ticket. Yep. And I sail off into the sunset. <laughs> but it's true. You don't. And then you see this transition stuff and you're like, oh, my God. Like this is exact. This is what I I've been this missing is, this for so long. I didn't realize it. Yeah, and then it's like, how many bugs do I have in my applications now? I mean, yeah. I have so many. Just, yeah, yeah. So yeah, from the docs, it says transitions. Let's let's revisit this demo from the previous page about suspense for data fetching. When we click the next button to switch the active profile or the blog post in your analogy, the existing page data immediately disappears, and we can see the loading indicator for the whole page again. So that's triggering like the outermost suspense boundary. Yep. We can call this an undesirable loading state. It would be nice if we could skip it and wait for some content to load before transitioning to the new screen. So that's like you could do that today, but you'd be hacking together some crazy stuff, right? If you wanted to trigger a load and then there's no idiomatic way to do it. And that's exactly what this is that's what that's where you'd have like last fetch content yes. current fetch content yeah i guess i guess you're right you could like create a cat you could create a cache yes. in user space yes. that remembers all these things yes and- but there's no everyone's going to look different so react offers a new built and use transition hook to help with this we can use it in three steps so um you just add this use transition hook and then in the app component where you're where you're changing the param let's say clicking on a different blog post you get a use transition hook you invoke it you pass in a timeout milliseconds and you get two things back from it start transition as a function and is pending is boolean it's react telling us whether transition is ongoing and um so now when you click to switch the blog post id from one to two you add a start you use the start transition function and then within that you start using the other hooks or fetch calls to suspend and um that's exactly what it does. So this is why the cache for data fetching is so important. You have the one tree currently mounted and it's blog post one. And when you start a transition, it's almost the way I'm thinking about it now is like there's another version of your app running. Like yes. React, because of this halting problem where we can't just start rendering to see if what we want is what we want, if we have a state, we need to run this second page somewhere. Throwing a promise lets React have control and it's a pull base instead of a push base. We talked about that. A couple months ago why it's such an important part of of the the throne promise mechanism because if you just were to push things then react can't do it it kind of all makes sense though because now you have this one tree now you have another function that then a transition that's throwing promises via suspense react's going to keep asking for it until it gets the right version and is able to build up a new tree of your app but in this like bomb shelter over here and the meanwhile it's as if the user never even clicked that button in your app like your app is in the old state yes, yeah, and for, it's completely reactive and it could receive new updates. The user could cancel and go to another thing. React could be doing this in N different times, actually. So it could be making N versions of your app in this bomb shelter, constructing these trees. And then once it's ready, it can just swap the tree out because now you have a new consistent state of your app. And you can go back. This is why it helps with transitions. You can have like two versions of your app with trees and transition between them. You can go back and forward. And this is the idea of the cache. Sometimes they were talking on Twitter about this cache for data fetching. And people were like, isn't that an optimization? Aren't caches an optimization? But it's more about this part. I really like that question because I was like, yeah, like as web programmers, we actually think of like, oh, my thing works fine without a cache. It's just slow or whatever. So I I did like that comment. But that's um, that's my current understanding of all this stuff. And um, again, like back to the install script analogy, you couldn't really do this without a cache because the steps take too long and it wouldn't be feasible or practical. So now if you have a shared cache that everyone uses, not just for data fetching, for animations, once you have a first class way to do it in React, React can now do this orchestration where it's building these different trees and it knows if like a tree is stale and it needs to like evict it for a key or whatever. Um, and uh, that's like, that's the whole point. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's real exciting. I yeah. Mean, it, it, I've, yeah. I kind of feel like, um, yeah, like you're like leveling up. Yeah. It's like a UI developer and it's, it's, that's how, that, that's just how I felt playing with it. Totally. So, so you actually got to play with some of the demos because you saw there was like a Reddit demo from Dan back in the day, back when they, um, first introduced transition, right? Yeah. I think in that 
Twitter thread, Dan links to a GitHub discussion. And um, I think Andrew Clark posts a bunch of explanation of like how this stuff works, why it's needed. And then he's got a couple demos and the demos will uh, fetch data from Reddit and you can like change the subreddits mm-hmm. and you can comment out all the transitions and it works kind of like how you think a React app would work. Like I go to subreddit, I go from like the JavaScript subreddit to the front end subreddit and like, okay, now my app renders like a loading spinner because I'm now fully in the state of the second uh, front end subreddit. Right. I've left the JavaScript right. subreddit. And then you use transitions and you realize like, oh, I'm actually still on the JavaScript. I'm still there. Still there until uh, all the uh, until the render for the front end subreddit um, is, is, is like consistent. Yeah. I can render top to bottom. Yeah. So that means rendering with like the subreddit ID of front end and then also with all the front end posts fetched. Right. And so like, wow, does that make the program so much simpler for you to understand. It's crazy. The code simpler. And you're like you said, like you're you, you're looking at the old posts and you're able to interact with them. Yep. He makes them fade out a little bit to indicate that they're loading. But the point is, you're still in that world, you yes. know, and it's like you it's can just, be you can be reactive there. Yeah. You can. Yeah. 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 You imagine you could like delete posts from right. there. Or, exactly. You know, whatever you want to do. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. I'm not sure what like a bunch of these APIs, you know, are like they have like the unstable prefix. Yeah. So I'm not sure like what what the current thinking is there. Um, you yeah. know, and, and again, I've just kind of played with this from like the demos, but you can definitely see like, okay, like if I was in if I was writing effects, how would I do this? If I was writing suspense, how would I do this? And then like, oh, this is actually like kind of like the best of both worlds where I get to have all my state and not transition to it until it's ready. Yep. So bring it full circle back to my demo for my last video last week where it's like an email inbox. I made this component suspend after initial render so that you can first render a single loading spinner, even though you have two data loading components. But then once your sidebar is rendered, you want to add a nested suspense boundary. Um, It's possible. It might be fun to rework that with a single suspense boundary at the top. And then when you're transitioning between messages, um, Maybe you would put it in the parent. Um, I'm not really sure. I think um, it would go above, like the message component yeah, would suspend. Yeah. And then um, if above you're that, transitioning, you, you can decide you could, what to do. So yeah. whatever renders a message component can, like, yeah, like the red example. That's like can, the red example, you can actually keep the previous message and, like, and, maybe gray it out yep, or something. Or just have a little indicator yep. in the top. That'd be interesting. So this is like so that's this, like that's pretty interesting. This is actually something that I noticed when I was when I was messing with the demos. We'll we'll link the GitHub issue in the demos uh-huh. um, in the show notes. But I was like, okay, like there's two ways for me to 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 go into a loading state. Yeah, I'm making air quotes here. Like one is I can have my component suspend, right? Which isn't necessarily. It kind of made me realize like it's not suspending isn't necessarily loading. Oh, it's what you want okay? It's more like suspending is like I'm not ready. Which right. we just map to means right. I'm loading the data. Right, I need. right. But you're basically saying I'm not ready. Right. Uh, and then when you start transitioning, like you're not you're not rendering and suspending. These words are so <laughs> so. When you start transitioning, you're gonna say, okay, I'm not gonna render this new tree that I'm tra- transitioning to until it's ready. And so you're not. You're not rendering that tree mm-hmm. and rendering the suspense boundary. You're like preparing it mm-hmm. to render it right, when it's right, fully right. ready. So now you have like another loading indicator, and that is like I start a transition. So the use transition hook, the boolean, it returns. Um, what you? They said like yeah. What it, did the doc say? It, I call it like is transitioning. Yeah, I think they called it something, something else, like, like that. It's um, is is pending maybe is yeah is pending is pending. Mm-hmm. So that boolean flips from from false to true Mm -hmm. and so you're in old state and you know you're transitioning to a new state because that thing is now true right so it's like okay i have another way to display a loading spinner right right my jsx i can do like if is loading right so it's it's interesting i feel like this is there's multiple ways to do the same thing like when you run into this problem i'm transitioning from one post to another what should i actually do yeah should do i want to suspend or do i want to to render the old post and like show a little indicator that like the new thing is loading and i feel like this is a thing where 
the only thing that's going to give me the answer is like, I need to just like, Play I need it. to touch the stove and get burnt yeah. a few times. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So with your messages, you, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think like us writing it. Yep. We'll learn a lot. Might have some light bulb moments. Yep. I, I do like that. I went through the exercise, even if it ends up that transition was a better solution to that particular problem. I like that. I went through the exercise because it's nice solving the problem with just a suspense primitive like you can do so much with that and yeah. the fact that they work with nesting and you can add and remove them dynamically to the tree yeah. at any time means you can solve a lot of these problems with just suspense i'm not qualified at all to say this so i'm just gonna say it it's not as as you, as you do is. as a podcast <laughs> as you do when you're on a podcast um your video with like so first of all, I think nested suspense boundaries is like totally, separate, totally separate app- problem. Yeah. Space. So, and I like when I was playing with the transition stuff, I never thought like, oh, we could totally do this in, in Sam's video. Like I didn't think it mapped as like a replacement. But for see, your I video. don't know. Cause that Reddit example, I mean, it's basically you have one initial splash screen that's loading and then you have some intermediate loading state. I know, but if you were, if you were going to go and say like, oh, if I'm transitioning, just read display the loading spinner. Mm-hmm. Then in that case, like, no, you should just use a suspense boundary. We mm-hmm. should just immediately transition to from like message one to a suspended yeah, loading of message two yeah, yeah, to yeah. then message two. I, I agree two. actually now, like having thinking about it and the way it was saying the, 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 what it was saying, the way it introduces transition is when we click on a new page that has a component that suspends, um, we don't want to show that we we transition to loading screen right away. Wouldn't it be nice if we could keep the old data around? In the it's, inbox it's a, example, a, that's not what right, we're doing. It's an undesirable loading state. A, a, yeah. Whereas in this case, we actually have a desirable loading state, which is something that we want nested in the UI. So like in mail on the Mac app, when you click a different message, you wouldn't want to show the old message with the new message selected. Well, so that tells the, me the it's be- not the, well, the beauty of the beauty of transition is I don't think you would select the message until it was ready to be. Well, rendered. but you want to show that you, you have want to get immediate, immediate that feedback. You actually yes. click the button. Yep. yep. Whereas Hopefully. like, in, so I think you would transition to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Up, no, I think fine. you would. I think your video is appropriate. That's what I think yeah. too, because it's suspense is about showing loading feedback and simplifying the component and transition is about showing old data. Uh, instead of a new loading right away, which is just slightly yeah. different. Um, what's an example of an app where you would want to you would want to show the old data while you're clicking around? Like, does that ever have happen on Twitter? I think I think. Um, I think um, yeah, I guess I like Twitter. Routing. If you hit a button, like sometimes it, you you could imagine just keeping the you know the home screen written while you're loading your notifications or something like that. Yeah, I think if you take like a, go back to like a really server rendered website when you yeah. click links. Yeah. You're, you're looking at the old page. You're looking while at the old it starts page, loading. But that, yeah, it is yep. loading. It's not. No, it's not loading in your computer in React. Mm-hmm. It's being prepared in a backend with a database. But um, it's true. Yeah, you're following links. You don't want to just look at a loading screen if you're looking at an article or something. You know. I think that could be really powerful. It's interesting for routing because I think with routing, yeah. if you imagine a router, and let's just like be like really terrible. Like our routes are fast. Like it, mm-hmm. our routes need data, and our sorry our page components that our routes render need data. And so they're going to suspend while they fetch, but they're Mm -hmm. not going to suspend for like three seconds. They're going to suspend for like a hundred milliseconds if they're fast. So if you're like clicking links, you don't want to get into like, okay, I click a link. I immediately transition to a new state. That state's now suspended. Maybe like a loading spinner for a hundred milliseconds is too jarring, but I I have to render something. Mm -hmm. So I render a blank page and then the data comes back component on suspends and I render the actual data for the page um yeah i think i'd rather just like have some state like i'm transit i'm transitioning to this next page mm-hmm. but keep this page rendered yep yep um yep and it's really cool yeah we can we can do that yep so i mean i guess like we have to we'd have to see it right like this is this i'm getting like a little hand wave right now but yeah that's pretty interesting though man it's really cool um yeah, I was uh, I was like upgrading my uh, fitness side project, and um, all the code is so clean there, you know, in the in the routes that I use suspense and just the initial loading indicator showing up and all that. It's really nice. Nice. Yeah, I had fun upgrading that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have tests for it, which is good. I upgraded from like next ten to twelve, tailwind two to three. It's actually pre- it's all pretty straightforward. Yeah, and then um, I actually found a bug uh in like my ring component 
and I upgraded Framer Motion 2. And it, it, it actually showed up. I don't know if it was showing up before, but I saw it. Um, it was just like the initial state and the animated state. But yeah, no, it was pretty cool. And then um, there was something else interesting about that. What was it? Oh, yeah, my tests time thing that was just a little thing the time zone issue oh yeah what did you do you what you want to talk through that sure yeah uh i just had some tests and the app shows a week view it's like the fitness app on an iphone and you have like sunday through saturday and you choose a day and when you're on the day if you've like went to the gym that day it has like a check mark and so i have a test where you know i all this is depending on time so all the tests are like use psydoc clock in cyprus to say okay it's january 1st you know 2010 or whatever and uh, let's start out on Tuesday and have three goals of this. And so the test says, like, we should, if there's an event in the back for, you know, the gym on Tuesday, I should see a check on Tuesday. And you start out on Tuesday as today. And then every time I push it to CI, it failed. And, you know, Cypress has a, the actions are so cool. It was actually the first time in a long time I'd worked with the, the GitHub action for Cypress. And I added the artifacts that it saves for the failed test. And it was like the easiest thing ever. I don't even know what I did. It was like two lines I copied from somewhere and just worked. No yep. install, nothing. No debugging. I, it's so good. And, and then just, just in the tab, you have like an artifacts button. It's yeah. just like amazing. And I was like kind of skeptical because I was like, I haven't worked on this in a while. Like this is going to be a pain in the butt. Maybe I'll just wait to like pair on this with Ryan. And then um, I was like, let me just take a look at the failed test and see if it tells me anything. And uh, sure enough, it showed the wrong day. You know, so Tuesday was the day with the gym but wednesday was red which meant it was today and uh on my on my computer it wasn't i was like so i tried yeah. everything i tried setting the clock to like zero 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 time with the time zone yeah. in it and then it still was a day off on the server on the ci server and github and i was like uh what else did i try i tried um oh I, there's a tz environment variable in node so you can run your test with TZ equals like America slash New York mm -hmm. and then Cypress run or NPM run and node will use that as the time zone, but oh. it's still giving me an error. It wasn't working. There's some people who are saying Chrome would respect that, but it's the browser. You know, if you open up a browser and you type new date, you're getting the time zone of the location the, of the, the browser, browser yeah, system. Yeah. So none of that worked. And I was, you know, I had those commits that are like, again, trying again, fix, 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 test, test. And, uh, and then eventually I found a GitHub action called like set time zone. And so there was, it just says uses set time zone, America, New York, and boom. This is where I think GitHub actions really, really shine where you can just like, it's like the declarative configuration yeah. and not. Yeah. You were saying it's so high level and declarative. You could actually imagine a UI for building your action, which you would have never thought back in the day, like setting up Travis scripts yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think I, I will say it's come a long way. I think like two years ago we did a podcast and I talked about like my initial impressions of GitHub actions and it still felt like low level. It still felt like I was setting up circle CI where it's like yeah. run this command with like this node version and this matrix and blah, blah, blah. And now yeah. It feels a lot more. I think the Cypress uh, add-on is like a good example of like just the best. like just home run with GitHub yeah. Actions, where it's just like uh, run npm start. It's going to spin up an app on localhost three thousand, and then it's going to run my test against. And that's like, no that's wait a, and serve, none of that, none stuff. of that yeah, anymore. It's yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, super reliable. Also, I was there was a part of me that was even though I was frustrated and it took me like an hour to figure this out. I was so happy I was seeing the same failures because the first time I was like, yeah. I've never had like a real failure in this test suite. It's been pretty solid. I took a time to make sure all this was pretty good, and I was like, oh god, what is this going to be? I'm, let me just try rerunning it and see if it passes, you know. But it kept failing, so that was good. Man, um, I, I just need to th like this app that I worked on at TED was like our big conferences app. And we're deal with conferences in different time zones and managing that. Mm -hmm. And we had this bug where the times, the, just like the times we were using, um, when daylight savings happened, it would shift by an hour. Oh my god! So this bug would show up. Sorry, this test failure would show up in like six months from now. So it's like <laughs> there was a time where it was daylight savings, and we push code and like. Just all our like a bunch of our tests are stop the start failing. Yeah, and we're just like, why is like code from four months ago oh my now gosh. failing? And like this is like, I don't want to go debug this. I have like work that <laughs> it was just like I hate. I just hate time zones. <laughs> yeah, I hate them. Um, I was actually going to ask you though, like, uh, so that solution is pretty cool. You have a GitHub action, you're in script. 
But does that mean if we were on a trip to California, potentially we could run this? Should this actually be done in the GitHub script? I kind of think it should be done in the test if possible. I think it should be mocked out in the test. But to my understanding, there's no way to do that. There were some people who said when you set size.clock to a new date that's in UTC, it's always UTC. It was still the problem where I think if you're using a date constructor, um, it's going to use a time zone from the thing. I couldn't figure out how to make the time zone um, consistent. I think... So like, But you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, do. I actually don't know if it's the right way to solve it. We, I had to do this on Ember Map because uh, I needed time zones with like drip or something okay where like we send off newsletter I, f- I forget why but i needed to capture the user's time zone write it to a database and then use that because like i, I can't think remember it should why. be i can't yeah. remember but anyway i, I use there's a way mock out basically you need to mock out i don't know i used mock moment date i used moment mm-hmm. which i know is like out of flavor now but at the time i used moment and they have like a time zone library mm. and it was like now you set the time zone that you want. So like in your test, you would say like moment time zone is, I mean, I guess in Cypress it's tricky because like the two frame thing, but mm-hmm. in, in Ember map, we didn't have that. So I would set the time zone to whatever. And then it's kind of like dependency injection. Yeah, every date. I'm not new dating. The, yeah. I'm using moment to initialize all my dates. And then that thing is. Yeah. So I did something like that. It was a while ago, but I remember being like, Okay, so now, like, I have an interface that I go through when I need a date, right? Right. right. I don't just new date. I have to right. go through moment, and it guarantees and a time zone. Right. If that is if that is the answer for me, that's fine, too. Like, if I need to remove all uses of new date. But um, I do like just starting out with new date and then within Cypress being able to do side.clock. Because yeah. that's, like, pretty awesome. I don't know. Man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, I don't have a good answer here. Yeah. Like, I feel like every time it's just, like, you know... <laughs> queue up five stack overflow right stack overflow tabs right yeah but uh it is cool to have a test with all the data and like this t- i mean that's like always going to be cool to me like you open up such a data-driven app that's about days and it's like you have a completely isolated environment that you control so yeah pretty cool stuff so why don't we wrap it there um yeah do you what, what are you working on this week what's your video this week i need to i need to, i need a video i have a few ideas actually i'm gonna start talking okay you go first i i'm doing um modal routing in next oh, JS. <laughs> see you in a month <laughs> actually i have like a nice i have it like boiled down okay. to the most concise small example i think we'll it's see good. about that we'll do yeah. a run through soon <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah next is cool because they give you an escape hatch for everything and then like sometimes you're like i wonder if uh you know when i'm in the submarine and i'm like ten thousand feet below sea level if i should have opened that escape hatch <laughs> it's i i think it more like here choose your weapon your crowbar you beat yourself up with a, a rope you're gonna hang yourself with you know foot gun uh, <laughs> foot, the old foot gun i, th- I think Tried it's cool. true i think it um one of the things i like about this is you get to see like how a bunch of pieces in Next.js can come together Mm-hmm. Um, whether you do modal writing or not, just yeah. explain a few APIs in Next.js and how yeah. to think through things like this. So this came up with the podcast app, right? Yeah, the podcast app is like the it's pretty most gnarly. complicated. I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's, where you can load a page and it doesn't re- fetch the background. But yeah, then when you navigate there, it still renders it. It's, yeah, so I have like that, but like the simple example yeah. of that it gets it can get like really out of hand. And the podcast app has started to do that. Yeah, so yeah. it's nice. yeah. That's cool. Escape hatches. Yep. I started working on, I think this transition stuff could be cool, but I want a little more time for like research or whatever. Absolutely. Um, I was going to do this forms thing. So I started working on a demo. It's just a dumb trick, but I wanted to do it also because I like, if I do dumb things, sometimes people like tell me better ways to do them. <laughs> but uh, remember when I used state and didn't have a state setter and I just wanted like a snapshot of a form data while you're going to edit it. Yep. It was kind of like that. Cool. So it's, Let's say you have like, um, you know, um, in the fitness app, you have categories like nutrition and fit and working out. And then you create a goal that's attached to a category and you can only have one goal per category per week. So when you go to create a new goal, you choose a category and uh, you can only choose what you don't have a goal for yet. So what happened was, let's say, you know, you have like two browsers open or something you render the form and uh you choose nutrition but then 
someone else has already made a goal for nutrition while you're editing the form. And then, so now nutrition disappears, your app re-renders and like your app's in an inconsistent state. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also happened even without that, where it was like you chose nutrition to create that form. You're in a, a modal window showing the form. You hit save. It goes to the parent. The parent now saves it. And now available categories doesn't include that. And so your like component errors because it's like trying to render a form for nutrition, but it's no longer there. So like available category ID is it wrong. And like the selected category is not there. And so I ran into this, like in this UI, um, and solved it by when you first render the form with the select category, you make a snapshot of all the data and it's basically just use state. Here's what you're working with. And that way, like you could do the validation and check if there's still an available category when you try to save it. And if not, you'd show a message like there's already been a goal created for this since you hit edit. It would be like hitting edit on a stack overflow, having an update, and then the message saying you're editing a stale version of this question, hit click here to refresh or in GitHub. So it's that kind of problem. Nice. And so I think that's actually better is like when you render a form to go edit data, you want to take a snapshot of the data at the time when the user clicked edit. And then if there's some validation you need to do after the fact or the data changes and you're not re-rendering out from underneath them. So I'm trying to come up with the smallest version of that. But I think I think you can get into a bug pretty quick I when like you have the, a relationship and you have an yep. available thing that goes away. I think that's you're the doing way like to do a it. filter and the thing. Yes, no exactly. Because yes. I started with just users and editing their name and um, tried to do a thing where like the name changes in the background and the prop comes through. And now, like, what do you do? But um, I, I think um, I think the, the relationship is the way to go. Yeah. There was a, a thread this morning on like forms and react and it was like, there's like a sad face. Yeah. I saw that. Which was the way we write forms with like state. And then there was another one that was like the remix it, example. Not even, form. not even the remix one. Yeah. It was just, well, maybe it was, but it was uh um, oh, target dot. It was basically uncontrolled, uncontrolled. Form. Yeah. 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 So you just render a bunch of inputs and then your on submit does event, reads it from the event dot target yeah. dot you know, first name dot value yeah, yeah, to exactly. get the first name element from the form. Right. Right. I thought that right. was pretty nice because thinking about it and like, yeah, I only control my form inputs so I can read them. Like, I have yeah, no but other. then you, I mean, it is true. As soon as you do validation or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you have like, I mean, if you're just doing a login form, you should do, you know, it's easiest to get going with just type email required in that way. Like the browser is going to do it. It's going to look way better on the phone than anything you're going to do in react. Absolutely. So, but I still do a controlled input yeah, with that. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, not. I mean, Formic makes that stuff pretty easy. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And also in this, I will link this thread, but, um, man, people, people are really opinionated Opinion, about their form. I mean, about that. I thought there, I thought someone was going to get stabbed in that thread. <laughs> I mean, people are yelling and use Formic. Don't use this. Uh-huh. Remix people were in there. Uh-huh, it was, yeah, uh-huh. it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I know those are hard. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Forms never fun. I yeah. mean, the, the primitives in rails were awesome so if people have never seen like a rails or laravel the way they handle relationships and stuff there's a lot there that's pretty cool that a lot of that informs the, how we end up writing our forms in react we're yeah. basically using that as a mental model yep um but it's certainly not like a standard thing that's like everyone that does it the same way in react which would be nice maybe they'll t- rack team will tackle that after transition <laughs> think, and suspense land. i think that ship has <laughs> sailed i think that's a user land problem yeah. and yeah yeah cool all right um i guess that's it for this week happy january 17th i kind of like recording on monday it's nice yeah you know so this should come out like wednesday or something um but uh yeah thanks for listening everyone hope you're doing well and uh we'll see you next time bye-bye see ya